welcome to the Two World Podcast, where you can hear thoughts and reflections on unique intersections between faith and culture. Tune in regularly for this foray into feelings of surprise and interconnectedness and aha moments in life when two worlds come together. Now join your hosts, Barney and Jacob, for this most recent episode. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Two World Podcast. It is my distinct honor uh, to introduce the co-hosts of the podcast. Uh, My name is Ken, and uh, I'm privileged to be a guest this morning um, on this podcast, which is hosted by Barney. Hello. And Jacob. Well, we're back with uh, another conversation about uh, um, a show close to our hearts called Northern Exposure. Um, Barney selected a a unique episode for us this morning. So we will get into that and hope you enjoy it. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, after the last episode that we did, um, where um, Shelly was the one that was helping Hauling work through um, some of his issues. Um, and then we even, I, I guess really a theme that from the last episode was really helping one another and kind of pulling each other through even um, Maurice, who is usually kind of a, a grumpy, stingy, you know, kind of um, aloof character was really doing his best to help Fleischmann um, through his feeling of isolation, you know, driving him out to Velichesk to hopefully buy <laughs> some, um, some other um, Jewish people in the area, but just finding a ghost town instead. And, you know, and, but even kind of um, still trying to, to buck Joel up a little bit by saying, you know, here are all these mountains that have been named after um, Jewish people who were explorers in the area. Um, a- after that experience, I, then this episode, today's episode came to mind as kind of a flip of um, hauling and, um, and Chris um, helping Shelly out through a problem that she's having. And then when I was trying to find the title of the episode, I realized the other real big point of the other real um, plot line in the story, which is Joel going through a breakup and trying to recover from that. And um, in the first season, I think near the end, um, uh, Elaine, Joel's girlfriend, comes to visit. And um, Joel is very worried about how Maggie um, will treat Elaine. And um, we kind of sense maybe that Joel is also kind of projecting his feelings for Maggie onto um, the situation and kind of like, like, you know, making things out, you know, kind of trying kind of blaming Maggie in a way for these feelings, these confused feelings that he has inside. And then at the same time, trying to concentrate on, um, on his girlfriend, on Elaine being there. And then at the the start of this episode, which is the start of the season, season two, um, he gets this dear Joel letter and find out that he has been dumped. And um, it's, it's quite a way to start it's right at the beginning of the episode. It's quite a way to get things started off. And um, I'm curious, Jacob, how how did, you know, you, you're only a few episodes deep into your experience with Northern Exposure. Um, and even like the, I mean, it starts off with Chris kind of giving us, you know, just a little prologue to the episode, kind of getting things laid out. And then we have Joel and Maggie um, kind of added a little bit, you know, kind of, nipping at each other in his office, um, then you didn't know what to expect at all. How, how did you feel when this scene uh, kind of unfolded? I was surprised because I didn't know much about Joel's background and um, that he had a girlfriend um, outside of Sicily. Um, and so, um, yes, having that storyline introduced, oh, that added another dimension to his character. Uh, all throughout the episode, I kept trying to think of what connects Joel's experience with the other parts of the story um, and the other main storyline. Um, it was like a big puzzle for me 
and and then um, as we went into it deeper, it started to, especially uh, as was referenced earlier, the the movie theater scene, um, or maybe maybe we talked about that actually before we started recording the podcast. I'm not sure, but but anyway, there is this movie theater scene where Joel is a younger version of Joel is talking to the current version of Joel and revealing something deep uh, about his own psychology. And so um, to answer your question succinctly, I was very surprised, but I'm so grateful that they unpacked um, more of Joel's own kind of um, deep emotional state throughout the episode. And then that kind of unlocked for me what the connection was for the broader episode. So, which I'm really excited to talk about. Yeah. How about for you, Ken? I'm, you, I'm well, sure you've seen this one before, but. Right. Um, yeah. I, I, and continued rejections then as he, as he wants to jump back into the pond, I, I think those words were used or something similar. And, um, you know, we see that it, it just doesn't work that way, even though back in New York or where, whatever Joel's previous experiences taught him, um, that it may have been okay to uh, presumably think your presence <laughs> is enough to uh, attract, uh, you know, the, the co-eds in the bar or just not going to work, just not going to work, Joel. And, and it's, it's all part of, um, and Jacob, I, I would think you've probably seen this now, all part of Joel's development as a, as a person now who, um, is learning to become more fully human. I, I like how we see him kind of going through the the, the typical um, stages and process of dealing with with a, a broken relationship, and um, I think we 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 catch uh, also in the movie theater scene we catch where his younger self is telling him that he's getting closer to thirty. So we re we have to kind of remember he's really just out of um, medical school. It doesn't have a lot of life experience under his belt since he's been in school for such a long time. And he has this typical kind of immature approach that probably all of us has shared this experience in our lives where, you know, exactly like what Ken was saying. He's like, if I were in New York, look at me. I'm a doctor. I'm Jewish. You know, I'd be fighting him off with a stick. And then, you know, later in the bar, he uses the line. He's like, you know, well, you know, that was the biggest mistake she'll ever make. You know, he's using all of these <laughs> typical kind of lines that, that we would use to reassure ourselves after this big rejection. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it seems like Joel's younger self too names uh, one of the fundamental problems for Joel is that he's looking for external affirmation. Um, and I think, you know, he it's like a core, deep longing he has for other people to see him and recognize him and affirm him. And I mean, a lot of us can relate to that, right? Um, but he's kind of stuck Um and unable to um, find grounding um, when he, when he is rejected. Um, and since it's, he's can only seem to find grounding in external people. Um, he doesn't know what to do uh, when the people around him aren't able to give him the type of affirmation he's looking for. Um, they try. And I, and I think, I feel like during the episode, uh, he, he starts to grow, but he also recognizes that they're trying to help him, which I think comforts him. You know, the really interesting scene um, sitting outside um, with the, the iced coffee, you know, with talking with Maggie and it's an imagined conversation of, of get trying to get closure with the girlfriend who's just dumped him. And it certainly doesn't go probably how Joel would want an imagined conversation to go, but the fact that they, that, they were trying to help him, I think, that's left him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, oh, please. Sorry. Um, yeah, I, I like how we kind of see him, um, you know, at, at the very beginning, we're thinking, oh, you know, he's this typical guy, you know, he's, he's just really, there's no, not a lot of growth here, not a lot of depth. We've got to kind of give him, you know, the benefit of the doubt because he's, he's new to life and these experiences. Um, then we see when he hits rock bottom, you know, when he's in bed and Ed comes in 
and he doesn't he doesn't even you know come up with his usual um quip of you know well don't knock ed you know come right in you know <laughs> and he's yeah. you know ed is worried about him and um i think in a lot of the episodes we've had so far ed is worried about people and um and and i loved the um that kind of analogy that joel had to help ed understand um what closure is and um you know since ed loves movies he's like you know what would happen if you know you're watching this movie exciting movie that i forget what it was but i want to see it i've never seen it and then um he's like and then whammo they just cut it off you don't get to last see the last 15 minutes and and it clicks for ed what closure is and then he in this way that he loves to try and help people he goes to of all people hauling and maggie um and tell them you know he makes a wonderful point if they hadn't made joel go to alaska he probably would have stayed with elaine but it was the distance and everything else that you know they realized it's not going to work and and elaine was living her life in a big city and meeting people and and joel stuck in alaska and and amazingly you know maggie of all people does you know she wears these it's freezing cold she wears you know a, a spaghetti strap dress with spaghetti straps and obviously she's cold and she's really going out of her way to help this guy that she feels indifferent for it that we saw at the very beginning of the episode where she's like you know if you know she's giving him all this advice on how to acclimate and you know there's there's this um tension that they have and then she's going out of her way you know to help him find this closure right and um yeah it's at that time from from that point on we really see a lot of um interesting development in him as a, mm -hmm. as a as a person and a part of the community yeah clearly joel has nowhere to go at this point it's not like we can go downstairs from the apartment and head up to sardi's for you know dinner and Ed's perceptiveness to that cause was was really um, was really to be admired, and Maggie for <laughs> going the extra ten yards, and then the comedic twist in the midst of their conversation was um, was a bit of a relief, um, <laughs> um, and yeah, just just well done, well done. Well, should we move on to Shelley's dilemma? Actually, I I had one question. This time oh, okay. I didn't I didn't prepare a question. I didn't send questions beforehand, but um, kind of kind of in, uh, branching out from the episode in, into um, real life. Um, I, I've been thinking about this a lot. You know, just thinking about this episode, thinking about um, relationships I've had, and um, thinking about you know one day kind of hopefully being able to shepherd and mentor along. Um, my two kids, my two sons, um, in the potential, you know, um, relationships that they have. And I'm curious, um, you know, maybe what relation, what advice, relationship advice do you think you might give, um, your younger self or will you want to give to your, um, kids as, or maybe you are even in Jacob's case are giving to your kids as, as they're getting to the age where they, they went to, um, you know, start seeing other people or aren't seeing other people. I feel like um, I should defer to you, Ken, because you have more life experience than I do. So maybe you could start. <laughs> and more failures. <laughs> no, no. Well, I, you know, I can remember one distinct moment in the, uh, in my daughter's growing up process um, and in a sense, there's a bit of Joel Fleischman there. Um, she was with a guy from the end of high school, right through the first three years of her undergraduate work at Tiffin. And um, I was working at the uh, county park system up in another county, and we had booked um, the reception um, building through the parks. And it was just one of those things where it was, okay, um, it'll be, yeah, th there'll be the wedding. This is a given and then the reception and then they'll go on and he'll be the pharmacist and she'll be the forensic psychologist and their lives will continue. Bum, 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 bum. 
And then one, um, one evening I get a call from my daughter and uh, she says, dad, I just don't think this is going to be a right thing for either of us. And a long conversation ensued. And it was mostly me just listening and occasionally saying, yes, ultimately it's a decision about marrying a friend and being a friend and having that loving, intimate relationship that's that's going to provide some happiness. And uh, because I'll admit, I love the guy, <laughs> but I wasn't going to share my life with the guy. And, you know, there were sides in that relationship that obviously I was not cognizant of. And so I admired at that time, I admired her um, courage to say, I, I think I'm going to go up to Toledo this weekend and, and giving back his ring because so there was that. Wow. That thank you for sharing that, Ken. Um, <laughs> it seems like she was um, trying to be authentic and real and recognize um, where she, who she was and who he was and try to be honest about that and not try to shoehorn their relationship into something that she thought it couldn't be. Um, my advice would be, and it's very simple, is to try as hard as you can to love the other person for who they are, not who you want them to be. Um, because um, we all have capacity to change. And, um, and when we're in a relationship, we want to please our, our spouse or our partner. Um, and ideally we can compromise and find middle ground. Um, or if something's really important to them to do it their way. <laughs> and if something's really important to us that we communicate well enough and clearly enough that they might in some cases give us that license. But um, I also feel there are times when due to pattern, family culture, how the person was raised, that they're going to come back to certain default behaviors, positions, mm -hmm. attitudes, ideas that we just need mm -hmm. to accept and not hold on to the wanting to control that or change them. And so... Um, and I think that at the end of the day, that's kind of too, what most people want is they want to be loved and accepted as they are not for as some other version of that they could be when they're on their best, having their best day. <laughs> so, so I'm, so I'm curious, Jacob, have you, have you had a conversation like that yet, um, with either of your two older children? I wish I had had those words for my daughter, um, as she was in her formative years, I don't think I had those words. Yes. Yes. Um, we've had the conversations like that. Um, our oldest son has, um, dated someone and, um, we tried really hard to encourage him because we really had a sense of trust in the, his capacity to, to be a good judge of character and, and we felt like the person that he was dating, they had been friends for a long time before they started dating. Um, so we tried to support him, but we would share words of, you know, encouragement, but also from time to time instruction, like, I'll just be yourself and make sure to communicate well and um, try to listen to her well and see, you know, encounter her where she is. Um, my our, our middle child has had some friendships before where she was hurt um, at how her friends were treating her. And it was a pattern. And I know it's a little bit different than a dating relationship, but we told her in those cases, we, we really encouraged her to maybe think about a boundaries. Um, sometimes if there's an unhealthy pattern, um, you know, accepting somebody else for who they are, doesn't mean that, that then you will accept patterns of behavior that are hurtful towards you. <laughs> You know, when it gets to a situation where there's um, like belittling or behavior that makes you um, feel really badly about yourself. Um, I come back to these words my grandfather shared with me when I was young. Um, he said, Jacob, friendships are like elevators. They either take you up or they take you down. And ever since he said that, um, that those words have stuck with me. And like when I get into a situation where I have a, a friendship that consistently when I spend time with the person, I feel badly about myself afterwards. So we share that with our middle child 
And, um, and we started talking with our youngest about that too. Like how, how people treat you matters um, and how they listen to you. And do they let you be who you are? Or do they try to, you know, um, only um, accept you when you do certain things that make the, them feel good or so yeah to answer your question we have talked with our kids those are some of the things that we've said um but i might turn it over to you barney have you had a chance to to do some of that um with your own sons um not not exactly um uh i guess maybe in terms of of uh friendships you know i i always just encourage um you, Yuma to, um, you know, just to be outgoing and, and to think of more, um, have been friends with more people than just my, you know, than mainly just here at home. Um, and, and it's fun to see him kind of branch out a bit and be friends with our neighbors and, um, and, and really just enjoy playing with them and spending time with them. You know, he, he's still so young that, um, and they're young that, that it's, um, you know, he can be friends with everybody, but I'm um, thinking about like relationship advice, um, you know, think about today's episode and also thinking about um, the lovely birds that sometimes we hear um, from, from Ken's um, uh, area where he is, you know, it makes me think probably the advice I'll end up giving is, um, you know, the times where you try to make yourself look too, where you try to sing your song too loudly and like you kind of, instead of, um, kind of tagging along, building on what Jacob was saying, instead of accepting the, in addition to accepting the person for who they are, make sure that you're being your genuine self too, and not trying to make yourself look too big, not trying to, um, you know, add all of these qualities that you wish that you had to say or try to try to portray that you have these qualities, even if it's not who part of your real genuine character. Um, I think what we kind of saw Joel doing and probably what we've done ourselves is we try to really, we think what the other person wants in a relationship or in a partner. And we try to be that um, mm -hmm. beforehand mm -hmm. instead of saving so much headache and just being who we are and, you know, thinking, well, okay, that's uh, who I am. Isn't what that person is looking for. That's fine. You know, in so many words, and, and one day I'll find two or three or one or however many people who really are in to who I am. And um, hopefully I can convey that I, it's easier to say than to do, but hopefully I can sure. convey that to, to my kids too. A few episodes ago, we were able to interview Lee Matsos about um, his music and his journey of recovery from grief. And in one of his songs, he has this line that really resonates with what you're saying, Barney. He says, your power in this moment is to make the choice that makes you really you. And um, it's like the, we can't um, uh, truly, uh, fabricate um, a version of ourselves that could do any better or um, contribute more than offering what we naturally can give. I mean, that, and, and the, the gift of ourself, like as we are is, um, is a, yeah, is the, the healthiest <laughs> approach. Yeah. And that's, that's a really good word, Barney. It is to feel like a good, um, segue to thinking about Shelly's story. And I was so fascinated by trying to get behind what is the psychology of that's going on with her. And so, I mean, obviously she has a deep need, uh, something core that, that this, this TV watching that she, as, as our listeners may, may learn as we talk about this further, or if they've seen the show that, um, through the gift of a, a large satellite dish, um, uh, she was able to see all of these huge varieties of shows uh, from around the world and then really becomes addicted to watching. And, and as she's doing it, keep thinking, like, what is driving this? Like, what, what need is she trying to fill? So I was wondering, could we talk about that a little bit? Um, and I don't know if you need to give more context to her story. Uh, if so, please feel free to 
unpack it more. I, I, I think you pretty well hit it. Hauling gifts her because she was disconnected with the, uh, the world at large. And he, his thinking was that this would uh, give her the opportunity to, to see in part how the rest of the world is operating at this, this uh, particular time in history. And then it goes uh, haywire from there. Yeah, it's funny that um, I kind of forgot. I kind of forgot what the 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 impetus for giving the the satellite dish was. Um, I, I I knew that like she really liked I you know like TV and whatnot. But I was putting the cart before the horse. You know, it was funny that Holling explains that he's like you always said that you wanted to see the world and here we can see the world with 200 channels, you know, right <laughs> from the comfort of, of our own home. And um, yeah, I think that initially it, it caught me off guard what it ended up doing to Shelly. I didn't realize that, you know, the first few times I saw it, the first time I saw it, I didn't realize that that would be the way that, that, that the episode would go. But like, we kind of see um, her, her getting, getting addicted to the TV. And um, yeah, and she doesn't sleep. And then she spends their honeymoon money on, mm -hmm. um, you know, the shopping home shopping channel. Um, but I, I especially love <laughs> for comedically, I love the part where <laughs> like it starts, it starts, the, the scene starts with them watching TV. And we're like, what's going on on this program that they're watching? Um, where is this? And is it in Chinese? And then Holling goes, here we are watching this Italian documentary of, you know, in about this documentary about people in Italy, you know, um, in Chinese. <laughs> or or is it is it a, a documentary about China from Italy? So I forget how it goes. And and this is an era also in the world in technology where really satellite dishes could pick up anything, any kind of TV channel. And um and it's just so curious. And then there's another part that is so telling where Maurice and Ed are talking and, and Ed says that he can't go over to Maurice's despite the, um, the tempting offer of T-bones and says, you know, he wants to watch rugby. And Maurice says, are you really into rugby now? And he's like, he really hits the nail on the head. He says, everything is more fun when you're watching it in a group. Yeah. And yeah, that yeah, really... yeah, Maurice had Maurice had been reacting to uh not showing up. And and as you know, as as you're more and more introduced, Jacob and, and our audience to what Maurice is about, he really does value <laughs> value that individual friendship thing um to extremes. And it's it's always nice when Ed uh when Ed produces some some sage wisdom. I and Barney, just to um, you said the way the scenes were set when when Shelley comes out uh, fully dressed as Vanna from Wheel of Fortune. I think right then, and that's that's fairly early in the viewing. We realize, uh oh, there's going to be a problem here. <laughs> but still, for the comedic effect, yeah, <laughs> who better than Shelley to to dress up and. <laughs> Oh man. Yeah. And I, I think about the line where she's telling Holling and, you know, nobody turns the letters like Vanna does. And, <laughs> and, you know, Merv Griffin says this and he owns hotels in Atlantic city. And <laughs> I think about that line from time oh, to time, man. just, just in my everyday life. <laughs> Good recall. Yeah. So um, one of the, questions um, that I think is still there, maybe we could uncover it a little bit more, is why was watching so much TV appealing to Shelly to begin with? Um, what, what was it about her background that put her in this place that she wanted to immerse herself in all this content and all these stories and all of these mm -hmm. shows and um, games and like, why did she need that or think that she needed that? What was mm. deficient in her experience prior to that point that would make her so hungry to fill it, that hole with the stuff? 
Barney, did you think it was at all out of character for her? And in a sense, Jacob's asking that as well. Um, do we have background for her entering season two that would hmm. for this yeah, behavior? That, yeah, that really is. Yeah, that really is a good question because typically she comes across as very grounded, mm -hmm. and um, yeah, and and maybe it doesn't. Maybe you're right in a way. It doesn't really kind of fit. Um, one thing that that I notice, or just kind of kind of put the pieces together, um, as we're talking, is a lot of the shows that we see on the TV or that she mentions are um, uh, like somehow you know international or or foreign in a foreign language. Like she she says she wants to see that Puerto Rican soap opera. Um, and then there's one time where they're watching Magnum PI that's dubbed in Japanese and, yeah, <laughs> and, and, um, and, and it harkens back to, um, Pauline saying that, you know, wants her to be able to experience the world. And I wonder if, um, you know, if he's worried about or kind of caring about her in this way, how, um, you know, she, she, she did i think she was from saskatchewan which is I, I don't know how deeply they were thinking about this but you know it is one of the le the less populated provinces in canada and um she's so young when she um arrives in sicily if he's worried that um she's missing this part of development in her life or these experiences um since since now she's she's kind of stuck in the bar i wonder if that was where he was worried that, um, you know, she's not having the chance to, to see these other things, um, and experience these other things in her life and hoping that maybe, um, this can be a gift to her. But I wonder if in her case, kind of what caused it is, I don't know, um, maybe too much of a good thing, um, and having trouble being able to kind of put, put, um, limits on it, you know, we, and we kind of see it tangibly through, um, spending, uh, the money that she was spending. And then, um, you know, she, but interestingly, she feels guilty about the fact that she is lying about, um, you know, having a baby that she has to attend to and putting the person on hold just so that she can watch, you know, more TV that she wants to watch. Mm -hmm. Um, and maybe maybe there is a void um, that that this TV is helping her to fill in a way. I don't know if it's related to you know kind of international life experiences or if it's related to having the chance to see what else is happening around the world, especially in terms of things that would appeal to people her age since since most of the people in Sicily that we always see um, are older than her. It seems like there are a few references to um, her childhood and also to her um, kind of forgetting her being so immersed by the watching of the TV that she forgets normal things in life that she enjoys. Um, and so it, like she tells that story when she's with Chris and she's gone to him for counsel and almost looking to him as she would a religious leader or, or a priest and she's kind of confessing her addiction to watching. And then she, he asks, was there a history in your family of addiction to watching television? And she says, well, her dad used to watch TV and he would get really mean if he was interrupted, you know? So there are these early childhood memories of, of her parent, you know, doing this. I mean, that she's probably even forgotten about. And then when asked, Oh, it does come back up. Um, and, but it seemed to me, I think at one point, um, she's being confronted about it and she gives, gives that argument that was the introduction piece. Well, it brings the whole world, um, into the, to the room, into the house. And I, I just had this feeling like maybe the whole reason she started it is she felt like she didn't have much life experience. And, and there's this whole thing about the honeymoon, um, and they didn't even go on a honeymoon. So she's, she spends their money. She didn't get that adventure. 
And maybe she has this deficiency and being immersed in these other stories makes her feel like she's experiencing international culture. But like you said earlier, um, she's sacrificing her own story and her own identity by being so immersed in the others that she's out of touch with things that she likes. And um, she's kind of living vicariously through these um, other shows. And so I kind of wondered if it's that psychological need to fill a hole um, that she's feeling um, that maybe that feeling of like, I haven't done much in life. I haven't had many adventures. I don't know much about international culture paralleling Joel's um, psychological need for affirmation by other people. um, If that's the common thread that, um, that you have to kind of um, what, what, could you remind us one more time about the, the title of the episode? I think it's um, goodbye, goodbye to all, to all that. Mm-hmm. Goodbye to all that. So like, um, is the title a response to their, I mean, this is so subjective, right? There's so many ways to interpret it, but is the title a response to the, these um, crutches that, um, that both um, Joel and Shelly are leaning on goodbye to all that. Like, you don't need that stuff. Um, be who you are, like find your grounding. You don't need, the affirmation of other people to make you a viable human being. You don't need to watch a bunch of TV to feel like you've had life journeys, like just be who you are. Goodbye to all that other stuff. Or I I don't know. That's where I kind of came out in the end. But, um, but since you both know the show a lot more, um, did you have a different reading or take or interpretation? I I think you've found a very (laughs) viable common thread there. Um, yeah, to get, yeah, to give up, give up on those kinds of, um, experiences and realize where you're sitting in life. And Shelly is very young, obviously, and, and even hasn't had what Joel has had, but yeah, I, I think you have hit it, Jacob, um, and, and the chuckles are never that far away. You know, when she's with Chris, that is so rich. Um, you know, Shelly, keep in mind that, uh, you know, I got my um, I got my cleric abilities from the back of uh, a Rolling Stone uh, ad. Um, and then Shelly, being the being the good Catholic, says, can't you, you know, give me some Hail Marys or something to say? And what did Chris say? Um well, I, I know a couple of Buddhist chants, if, if that'll help you feel better. Um, yeah. But Jacob, I think if I really feel you're not very subjective there. I think if you were sitting with the writers, I think uh, there'd be some nodding heads saying, oh, we're glad you got it. Yeah, that's really a great point. Um, uh, and, and kind of t- teasing out that here are two two characters that are doing um, un, unhealthy things uh, to to fill some need or to fill some kind of really really big part of their lives. You know, Joel is relying on Elaine to define who he is and define part of her his future, and um, Shelley is relying on the TV um, to show her what she's missing. Um, you know, she's thinking, what am I missing in life being here in Alaska, um, you know, running a bar? And she's realizing, oh, boy, you know, I'm, I hear all these things that, that she's missing. But but there's she can't she her problem is that she can't put any. Um, uh, what I don't want to say context, but she she can't. She can't say, you know, here's all of these experiences that I'm missing, but how many of these experiences that I'm seeing are really experiences that I could have or, or want to have. So it's like a kid in a candy store seeing all of these things. I've got to have this, got to have this, you know, I've got to have, you know, what are these people in Italy doing? What are these people in China doing? What are these, you know, what's it like to watch something, you know, an American show that's in Japanese, you know, how about these um, soap operas, you know? and and the jewelry and all these things and you know the telephone that's a hot dog and a chia pet and all of these <laughs> things you know she she ha- can't put 
a, a limit on what she thinks that she's missing. And thankfully at the end, um, it helps her to see what is important um, in her life and, and how to put, you know, this, this TV and the satellite dish, um, you know, within the limits that she can enjoy it, but not, um, you know, not, not overindulge, you know, to. Um, that reminds me as you were talking there about this phrase that you hear sometimes, uh, like kind of informal lingo FOMO. Have you heard that fear of missing out? Um, mm -hmm. And um, it's a, I, it's a real phenomenon. Um, sometimes you hear stories like um, of tech gadgets, like somebody buys something because they're afraid they're going to miss out and then they get it and then they kind of regret, like, why did I buy that? I didn't need that. I just didn't want to miss out or, um, and um, it's almost like Shelly has FOMO for like the entire collection of world cultures. Like she doesn't want to miss out on anything. Um, she just wants to catch everything and, um, and at all hours of the day, um, I'm kind of wondering, I didn't think about it this way, but can you read that aspect of the story into Joel's experience? Is, is there a FOMO that he has? And if so, like, what, what would that, what would that be? What is his fear of missing out? Well, his ongoing fear through, you know, as a thread through the series is this certainly isn't New York and there's no Jewish people around me. And, and his lament is obvious then. Barney, do you get a, a take on this episode and what he might be missing out? Yeah, I, I think that's a great way to put it. Um, when you said that, um, it reminded me of earlier when he said, you know, if I were in New York, my life would be like this. And um, there's episodes later where he says, when I finally get to go back to New York, you know, he's like, you, you better believe I'm going to charge what the market will bear. I'm going to make my money. I'm going to do this and this and this. And, um, and even in the letter that Elaine wrote, she um, itemized all the things that he wants to do. And I think that, um, um, I, I was, I was kind of misremembering from a different episode. I was, I thought of our last episode where Hauline says, you know, life is passing me by. I think that in this case too, Joel is fearing missing out on everything that everyone he knows or grew up with is doing in New York city. And, and that, that really keeps him for much, I, I, like Ken said, much of the series, it keeps him from being really more engaged with the community, I think. So that's like another important lesson maybe the episode presents is like to, to be, be authentic um, with, with who you are, to not try to fill um, or build up your identity based on these other crutches and to let go of this fear of, of missing out, but to recognize what's already in front of you, like the good things that are there. Um, I'm, I'm kind of wondering about the role of community um, in how, in times of um, crisis, like identity crisis, um, or uh, I don't know if you'd call it mourning or loss. Um, so Joel had Ed and he um, also had, let me see here. Um, he also had Maggie. Um, and then Shelly had Holling and I think, and Chris, and I think without the help of these friends, they might, they might've come around, they might've gotten to that point, but it would have taken a whole lot longer. And so I don't know if there's something we want to say about the role of like genuine friends or family or people who come around us that help us recognize when we're out of sync or out of touch with, um, who, who we really are, or, um, or we're pursuing some unhealthy way to resolve a problem that, um, that is not going to get us where we need to go. And they, they're courageous enough or compassionate enough to step in and intervene. So I don't know if you have any thoughts about that since you know, the characters so well, if you feel that that's happening here, that they're, they're really stepping in and helping and um, the importance of that role. Well, cer certainly the ending um, and akin to, an episode we, we had talked about where Shelly steps up 
with a puppet show for Holling. Um, Holling's authenticity and, and the realization of the strength of their relationship was very evident in the end. As, as you know, he's going to be supportive, but at the same time, he says, Shelley, you know, you can be mean. And then a wonderful line for Shelley. Um, I know Holling, but you tamed Jesse the bear. Beautiful. Yeah, the relationship just continues to be confirmed as we go along. And, and the strength and the love that they share is, is plainly evident. Really enjoyable. And I, I like how um, Shelley kind of alludes to um, Holling helping her with other things, kind of um, uh, other parts in her life. And she's like, you know, well, you know, I forget if it's her who says it or Holling who says it, that, you know, he, she's like, you know, you just give me the M&Ms just a few at a time, you know, and, and that kind of helps <laughs> her not, you know, kind of keep her, it helps her to keep in check kind of helps her to keep from overindulging. Mm -hmm. um, I, I like how in Shelley's case, you know, even though Chris says, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I just answered an ad in the back of Rolling Stone. It, it shows the role that um, clergy and religious support from someone who is religious really helps people. Um, and we see other times that Shelley really needs and really misses her um, connects, connection with her, her Catholic roots, how she grew up. And, um, and that just the way they stage that scene with her giving connection in the closet. Oh. And, and I love the times where Chris says, you know, he means, well, tell me more about that, Shelly. And she's like, you know, you're not supposed to say my name. He's, I mean, not Shelly. And <laughs> it's just the way that goes. And um, so, yeah, that shows the, the support from um, how, you know, someone in the religious community is supporting her. And then back to, um, you know, her kind of, kind of almost essential spouse, you know, her partner is supporting her. And, and in Joel's case, um, you know, we see Joel keeping people at a distance in general, but the one person that he always, you know, kind of literally lets into his life is Ed. And, you know, Ed is his kind of standard tried and true friend throughout the, the episode. They, of, of all the times where Joel is sharing his feelings and sharing his memories and recollections, it's usually with Ed. And, uh, and we see here the value of this having close friendship, someone you can rely on, and someone who, especially in Ed's case, who understands you, um, despite, you know, who reads between the lines and understands what you're trying to get at, and, and goes that, that extra mile to um, bring other people in and help, help you to get over what, what you're struggling through. Are there any other questions or thoughts that either of you would like to share before we close? I was just kind of um, thinking back to what you said a little bit ago, um, Jacob, before we just discussed um, this, this most recent topic. Um, again, going back to the... Um, uh, the movie theater and, um, you know, this episode showing us, um, about crutches and how we try to maybe, um, we try to maybe, I don't know, fool ourselves or try to pretend that we're in control. And, um, you know, Joel is talking with his younger self and Joel kind of blurts out, you know, he says, well, I haven't had a chance, you know, life has been unfair to me, you know, all of these bad things, you know, I'm always getting the fuzzy end of the lollipop, you know, and um, his, his younger self shoots him down right away saying, you know, you can't make these excuses. And, um, you know, we kind of see Shelley like thinking, well, you know, all these things are happening around me. You know, I can't miss out on all of these things. And I've got to, I've got to see this show. What time is it? I've got to see this. I've got to see this. I've got to see this. And, um, we have this TV and if I don't watch it, I can't have these experiences. And, and I think maybe one other 
neat thing about the show is about this episode is um, kind of, again, like um, seeing these characters struggle through, you know, saying goodbye to all that struggle through, you know, um, taking the next step, getting, getting help, you know, making it through their, their, their loss, their grief, or over this addiction. And um, again, the community helping them, helping them through that. Yeah. And, and in both cases, um, the struggle is going to go on and they, and they write dialogue for that. Obviously it's a television program. So next week has to, has to take another path, but in, in Shelly and Hollings conversation, you know, Shelly says, uh, I'm, it's not going to be easy and I'm going to need help through this. Okay. You know, kind of an analogy to, to other addictions in this world. And, and I'll ju- although the words weren't spoken, Joel is a bright young lad and, and realizes that uh, his struggle is going to continue and, and maybe in a, a different but big time way. So I, I enjoy that about the program that it's, it's not just la la and we're done and everything's fine. That's well stated, Ken and Barney. Yeah, that's I find that helpful. Yeah, uh, yeah. the The main charm, one of the wonderful things about the show, is is the characters and how they keep developing, and and we see them, you know, uh, kind of being being as as genuine as as you can make, you know, TV characters over over these uh, the seasons, mm-hmm. and. Um, yeah, it's uh, as always. I'm I'm so happy to have the chance to discuss Northern Exposure with with you guys, and um, to to go back to the have have an excuse, not that I need one, but have an excuse to watch these episodes again. And and um, it's it's wonderful. I've always watched these, you know, uh, uh, against Ed's advice. I've always watched these by myself, and um, <laughs> discussing them with you guys has really helped me to understand so much more about these episodes and really the the depth to them thinking about what the title means how how the stories are connected things things aren't happening in isolation but there's some reason for these stories to be happening in this episode and um we want to say thank you uh to you all for watching along and um listening along with us and we hope that it makes you want to find some way to be able to experience these um, episodes yourself, get in touch with these characters. And, um, you know, for the shows that you like yourself to think about them more deeply and see how, you know, they relate to the way that life is going, where you are in your life and and life going on around you. Um, you know, not whatever, um, however old the show is that you might like, there's, there's these connections, there's these um, lessons that, that we keep um, uh, seen, repeated, and that we can apply to where we are even now. So for another episode of the Two World Podcast, a special edition with um, our co-host Ken Nains and um, Jacob, um, we are so thankful for you guys joining us today. And um, we hope that you are as excited as we are for the next episode of whatever it may be. And we'll see you then.